Hello everybody and welcome back. It is Monday, October 30th, 2023, and you are listening to episode 174 of the Midnight Film Society podcast. I'm your host, Damien. Joining me today is Derek McDuff. On today's show, Spooky Season is coming to a close, which means we'll be talking about the best horror films I watched for Hooptober. But before that, we'll be going over some movie and TV news, do some Wolpin watching before concluding with an in-depth discussion of Martin Scorsese's newest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. Right into the show at MidnightFilmSociety at gmail.com, Bicycle on Twitter, subscribe on Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Spotify, rate and review it on apple podcast tell a friend family member or stranger what's up man how you doing i'm doing well uh i've been uh, going a lot of adventures recently uh a lot of some of them spooky in nature but i've been uh you know i've been uh i've been all right nice very cool yeah we'll, we'll hear all about that later uh, about yeah. the year where 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 derek's been going yes but uh, do we yes. do we want to address do address <laughs> the thing the, the the elephant in the room the name yeah. in the room yeah, yeah. The midnight film society so the podcast has changed a lot over the years i started in in beginning of 2019 really just as like a new year's resolution of like i've listened to podcasts for a long time i want to make one myself um if you go back and listen to the first three episodes which i don't recommend doing but if you wanted to do, <laughs> do that um it very much was not this format at, there was really no format at all which was the problem it was just one of those hey Let's get together and chat about random shit. So it was that for like 10 episodes, then 20 episodes. And after about 50 or 60, we, f- we finally got a format. We started talking about more about media, started talking about more about movies and TV shows. Um, and then it became much more movie focused once you came on. And so that's really what brought about the change. Uh, you know, we and we record at midnight or I record midnight my time. We record nighttime podcasts usually. So there's the midnight in there. We talk about film. And uh, as Joaquin Phoenix, you know the the poetic man himself said we live in a society so that's that's where the <laughs> that's where the that's where the title came from so there's yeah, that i yeah it's it's a lot more yeah it's it's a lot more like when you're, you're kicking back at ideas it's a lot more um about what the podcast is now can i say something like we we're saying it was just like oh yeah it just can't, could be anything but this is like oh this yeah. lets you know yeah what it is yeah yeah, can I say something? It was a very catch-all um, name. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, talking to you about it, and I think it's it's it has a lot to do with just name recognition, not just the name of the show, but just like the the person that's doing it. Like a lot mm-hmm. of them will just have like some weird name that has nothing to do with anything. Like Happy Sad Confused, hosted by um, Josh Horowitz, which is you know he's worked in in Hollywood for a long time, so people know him. So his the name of his show didn't really need to be anything. Um, you know, Komodo Mayo, they're, they're they're known names, they're known quantities in in media. Blank Check, you know, that doesn't really tell you what the, what the show is about, but they're known people. Whatever kind of whatever podcast they would put out, the people would go to because they have the name recognition. Um, and so, and 
so forth. Um, but yeah, this, you know, not being a known quantity <laughs> as we are, yeah. um, definitely needed, you know, a marquee name of like, what is that? What is, can I say something? I don't even know what that is. So you just pass right and buy it. But, you know, having the name out there would, would should, should hope put some, get some eyeballs on it and, uh, get some, uh, views and engagements and smashing like buttons should, should be happening more often. <laughs> so there's yes. that yeah. smash that like button people yes. even though there's not a like button on the <laughs> podcast yeah. there isn't but there is uh spotify or yeah spotify does some some, some cool stuff where they'll, yeah. they'll put just like a general what do you think of the show which just be it'll have like a general q a section on the at least the spotify version has like a general q a yeah. section so there's sort of sort of there there are buttons to, to be smashed whether there are likes <laughs> or subscribes there there's some buttons to be smashed yeah so Smash that, that five-star button. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, so let's get going. A um, couple couple deaths recently, one very recent. Uh, Richard Roundtree yeah. passed away this week at 81, obviously known, uh, uh, world world known as uh, Shaft. Uh, as of right now, I haven't seen any Shafts, but I know, you know, that's that's a, one of the big sort of black exploitation. Um, what's his name? Richard Roundtree. Shout your mouth. <laughs> What's his name? Shut your mouth. So I definitely need to go back and check the, that stuff out. Um, obviously, you know, was in more things than that. Um, mm-hmm. But really, just one of the guys, just like Terrence Davies from last week or last time. Uh, just a guy that's been around for a long time, has had a lot of, uh, you know, very um, prestigious guy, prestigious actor, was in Roots, was in a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, recipes to Richard Roundtree. So yeah, there was, yeah, yeah there was that. Uh, yeah, one of the greats. And then just before we hopped on the mics here, like a couple hours ago, was reported that Matthew Perry passed away at 54. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, best known for Friends, but did uh, many other things. I think he did the, um, uh, what is it, the whole nine yards and the whole 10 yards with uh, Bruce Willis mm-hmm. in the early 2000s. Uh, just was in, a, was in a many things, a lot, a lot of different projects, a lot of different roles. Um, definitely struggled with addiction throughout his life. So yeah, very, very sad, uh, very sad news today. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of really, I was at work when it happened. It, you know, caught me off guard really. Cause it was weird. Cause we had just been talking about friends like yep. an hour earlier and then it was like, Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. Very sad. Very sad news. Uh, very troubled guy. So, uh, you know, rest in peace for to him and, uh, you know, condolences to everybody that knew, that knew him. Seemed like a really decent guy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then some more movie and TV news. Martin well, Scorsese. Well, fast and too. Yes. Just uh, I want to say, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I believe it was. Um, uh, there was one more uh, death this this week too. Wanted to shout out um, from um, uh, Twin Peaks, and I believe she was also in Carrie. I was just qu- quickly trying to to Google her name. Um, yep. Let's see, um, but you you know what I'm talking about right? The uh, uh, she she was on Twin Peaks. Uh, she, was she, she was, a, you know, so she, was she the mother in Carrie? I believe she was also the mom in Carrie. Um, I, I believe we talked about her. Maybe last not. Week. No, maybe That's not. Fine. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong about that. <laughs> I'm wrong about that. But, okay. um, she, yeah, she was, uh, one of the, I'm trying to find her name. I should have had this ready, but yeah, she, uh, some, one of the actors from Twin Peaks who, you know, we both really love that show passed away recently. And I just wanted to mention that too, while we're mentioning, uh, te- deaths at the top of the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Piper Laurie, is that what you're talking about? That's it. Piper Laurie, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yep. We did mention her last time. 
Oh, okay, I thought it was yes. more recent. So, nope. I'm mistaken. My, my, I'm sorry, Piper. Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's good. Good to mention that. Um, let's see. So, Martin Scorsese. Scorsese is apparently how you say his name. Officially on Letterboxd this week, this is cinema, is what his uh, description says. <laughs> to a quarter of a million followers in this first week on there. Yep. Uh, I'm 70- one of them. And you are one of them. I, I am as well. <laughs> he only has 79 films so far listed. Um, I can just imagine because what I what I did, I'm curious if you did this uh, as well, Derek. Uh, when I first got mm-hmm. on Letterboxd, I just went, went through each decade, each year, went through the best films all of those years and decades and mm-hmm. sort of marked off each one I saw. And so <laughs> I'm just wondering if he's going to spend the rest of his life just going through and just, you know, marking off all of the movies he, he's have seen, like all 10,000 movies. <laughs> He's probably. I, I don't think so because life. emails scare him. So I don't. I don't know how much <laughs> yeah. going to be on Letterboxd. Yeah, I'm also wondering if it's just you know his daughter, or granddaughter, whoever. Uh, we, yeah. The person we see on all of his TikToks recently yeah. set this up for him. It's or some intern did it to yeah. cash in on the Killers of the Flower Moon. You know. Yeah. The crazy. To like promote Killers of the Flower Moon because all the film bros are on Letterboxd freaking the fuck out. <laughs> You really have it out for the for the for the film bros. I think we need to uh, sit yeah, down and they're examine. Toxic, man, they're, they're, yeah, they examine. They're they're very toxic. The film bros. Well, they are, but it's. I mean, I don't like Nazis either, but I don't bring them up on like every conversation we could possibly have. You know. Well, I mean, Martin Scorsese and Letterbox. Yes. You know, who do you think is following him? You know, right? Oh, the oh, I, right. So you're talking about the like haters. If, we were, if you yeah yeah well no like yeah the film bro well they love them you know they're like. They're like Marty, yeah, Daddy okay. Marty, I see. I, you know? Daddy Marty. <laughs> like if, if we were bringing up Triumph of the Will every week, then I'd probably be like, "Yeah, fucking Nazis, man, fuck those guys." Yeah, yeah. So I see what you mean because I thought you were like saying the the film bros are like the the Marvel guys. Like, what is that? I don't want to talk about them too much, but what is that fucking podcast or whatever that keeps being brought up and a bunch of people um, stitch it this week on TikTok where the guy, you know, who I'm talking about, right? The guy that got. Famous for being like, yeah, my two favorite movies are The the Greatest Showman and Avengers Endgame, or Avengers whatever, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I have seen that clip. I don't know what yeah. that podcast is. I've only seen the clip out of context. Yeah, and so they got famous this week again by just being doofuses. By being was like, he the guy who was just like, the movie's three and a half hours yeah. long. That's my review. That's my review, yes. Same yeah, yeah, same guys, yes. Well. So those are the guys that I, you're probably talking about as well, of just like, you know, they spout very unthoughtful things just out into the ether and and they're just trolling people they're not just trolling i I think there some of their thoughts are genuine but they are they have found a success in getting their voices out there by saying bullshit basically you know one of those types of people about the guys who are like the a bunch of the straight white guys who like a bunch of the other straight white guy directors and who are like really condescending and look down on anything they don't think is cinema they're you know they'll They'll like like a you know a Marvel movie or like fucking Barbie will come out and they'll be like ooh well this isn't the you know this is Barbie's not as good as Oppenheimer or something like those fucking guys you know the guys who are just like pretentious and and very precious about fucking film uh those guys annoy the shit out of me you know yes. you know what I'm talking about yeah. film yes. bros film bros yes <laughs> so it's yeah. a very boys club very much like oh yeah well you know if you haven't like. You know, they're they're very gas they're very gatekeep, you know. Uh yeah. Those, yeah, those guys yeah. are 
my my nemeses. Your nemesis, yeah, your arch nemeses. Yep. They're the one. They're the guys who love the term elevated horror. You know, probably. Yeah, yeah. I don't watch them enough to know what their what their actual ethos is, <laughs> but you know. You know, what is it? Um, what's that phrase that they always talk about? Like, um, you know, at least it's a, you know, not, what was it? Nihilism might be shitty, but it's at least it's ethos, right? That, you're that? just trying to quote the big Lebowski. Where I was trying he's to. talking about, he's just like, say what you will about national socialism, but at least it's an ethos. Something like that. Yes, exactly. I don't think that was the phrase either, but yeah. We believe in nothing, Lebowski. We are nihilists. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Peter Stramari. <laughs> Okay, so let's get into. I think that's it for TV news, right? Moving TV news. So let's get into all the stuff and watch, watch uh, absolute fuck ton of stuff this week mm-hmm. because I finished the fall of House of Usher. This is obviously the like I said last time the Mike newest Mike Flanagan project for for Netflix is it's his last project for Netflix. Um, and I finished it up this week. Um, I had some notes. Give me one second. Did you check out any of this yet? I wanted to, and I did not have time because I told you I will watch this, and that was like four (laughs) days ago. (laughs) It's a miniseries. True. Uh, So, no, I did not. I've been watching spooky movies and doing spooky things, so uh, I did not have time for a whole miniseries unfortunately i think it's like 10 episodes yeah it's quite long yeah so yeah fall of usher is an adaptation of it's like a broad adaptation it's not a specific adaptation because the the short story it's based on is very short there's not a lot of meat to it so it's a general adaptation of that in addition to that each episode has it's each episode is named a different poe poem or poe poe short story or poe novella um and each one sort of is um building off the themes of those short stories um it's a mixture of like poe and uh um uh, uh, uh i knew I, I was practicing this phrase before because i can't fucking say it uh Dick, uh dickinson dickensian dickensian thank you <laughs> dickensian it's got dickensian that themes. english degree paying off for me. <laughs> There you go. You made it. Um, you know, themes of like, you know, heartless, biz, heartless, rich business man being visited by, you know, past traumas, past uh, transgressions, mm. past ghosts come back to haunt him. Um, and not, not to get into too much specifics, but the um, sort of overarching theme and the what the reason it's uh being told now and the reason he's telling a story now to a prosecutor that was trying to to bring him to justice um, was because his children are, are dying one by one in gruesome ways. And also it's, um, you know, at the beginning, so I'll just talk about the beginning a little bit, not to talk about too much about the plot. He, his, him and his wife, the usher, the, the uh, patriarch of the, of the family, him and his wife in 1980 made a, like a deal with the devil, with a devil or a demon or something, mm-hmm. some sort of spiritual figure in a bar. And she said, you know, you will have decades of success and riches in exchange for your life, in exchange for um, when you die, your your lineage will not be passed on to anybody. And so he's not really sure what that means, but he takes the deal, obviously. So there is that sort of, and then that person obviously revisits him as the, the in contemporary day as the story is being told. So it's very good. It's like succession meets like uh, American horror story, stuff like that. It's got a very, very, very over the top, 
like stylistically, um, costuming, mm-hmm. the the performances are just everybody's chewing the fuck out of the scenery, especially Mark Hamill, who's doing some very interesting work in this. Ooh. Yes, he's in this. Um, Henry Thomas is is doing like this sort of flamboyant playboy thing, which is very interesting, uh, just based on, you know, the people he's played before have been very, you know, just... Um, you know, not that. It's very uh, traditional, very, um, you know, quiet sort of performance he's, he's given before. So it's very interesting to see him in this. And uh, yeah, just just great performances overall. Really, I would highly recommend this, to, obviously, to anybody that's uh, been a fan of what Flanagan has been doing so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, really love Midnight Mass. So I, I do need to check this out. Yeah. Yep, it's very good. Uh, so moving on from that, uh, did you see the newest Loki, the most recent episode of Loki? No, no I did not. I caught up. I? I caught up. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, uh, I was like, okay, cool. I'm all caught up. And it was <laughs> like Wednesday yeah. morning or something. Yeah. Uh, or Tuesday morning. So it was like right before the new one came out. Might have been Thursday. I think they come out. So what they do now is instead of doing it like in the middle of the night, like they used to do it like 3 a.m. drops on Disney+. Plus. Now Now it's like – Thursday night, I believe. Thursday night at like nine. So yeah, okay, very, so it might have been like Thursday morning because yeah. I was like, oh. And it's also my Disney Plus is really hard for me to get to watch because of a lot of oh, things. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so I'll I'll, I'll take care of you uh, from that <laughs> <Okay>. perspective. <laughs> um, so yeah, just very quickly and very uh, not spoilerific. Very good episode. It's doing a lot of stuff that I've been asking for. Um, if you. Go back and listen to Decoding TV, uh, Dave Chen's podcast. He has Patrick Patrick Klepanong, who is one of my favorite uh, podcasters and just people that generally talk about media um, these days. Very, very good. Very thoughtful guy. How to, I would highly recommend checking out their podcast. I think it was very interesting because Patrick Klepik basically uh, echoed a lot of the stuff that I was talking about last time where a lot of that um, <clears throat> you know, banter, witty banter, character building, character relationship building, he said what I said was – you know, that stuff's good. I want that. In addition to having the sort of plot, give the plot enough time to make sense. Give the, give the writers mm-hmm. and the actors and the characters enough time to explain what's going on in a way that doesn't feel like they're just spewing techno, techno, garble, techno garble for no mm-hmm. reason. You know, give the audience... Uh, under, uh, understanding of what's going on in the plot in those in that stuff. So that was his uh, concern going into this episode, and they've definitely. I won't again not spoiling anything, but it's definitely bah, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff happening, <laughs> and I can't wait to talk about it with right, you. Yeah. So yeah, definitely recommend okay. checking that um, out. Yeah, I'm excited to watch it. I, I did. I did see the third episode, like I was saying. And I really, you know, when they go and they see, because I was like, oh, is <laughs> is a uh, Kang or Victor Timely going to be in this? Because of given some, you know. Uh, you know, off, off, uh, camera yeah. antics. Uh, yeah. But he did come back, and he was like fully in it. Um, so yeah. yeah. Yep. Very cool. Um, then very quickly, lessons chemistry. It's good. It's fine. It's one of those. <laughs> they talked about this mm-hmm. on uh, on the watch this week. A lot of podcasts listen to. Uh, you know, apparently mm-hmm. that's what I do at work. Um, <laughs> it's it's just one of those. It's it's fine. It's like a nineteen fifties um thing with a modern uh um. Modern inclusion of, you know, they have to state the fact that it's you can't treat women this way, you can't treat black people this way. But it's you know, if you go back, I'm sure there's people that did. We're we're aware of how grotesque that is, how grotesque that behavior was. But I don't know that people back then would actually say that in these positions. So it's sort of like uh, what, do you, what would you call that? Like fantasy, fantasy stuff of of just like here's how we wish. 
those events happened, how we wish mm-hmm. those events played out if we were there. Um, yeah, I mean, perform- sure, I'm sure there were yeah. some people that stood up for people. I don't know. Yeah. Um, great performances by uh, by Brie Larson. Great performances by a lot of the cast. Um, there's also a lot of like sort of whimsical um, touches to the book that I'm not sure translate great to um, to the screen. Um, there's like a talking, not a talking dog, but like the dog narrates a lot of the book. And in the show, it's narrated by B.J. Novak, um, which is very strange. <laughs> very strange. I was like, okay. I know that voice. I know that voice. And I was <laughs> like, oh, okay, it's that guy. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're, you just want an easy, uh, you know, easy, breezy, beautiful. Uh, 1950s um, you know mm-hmm. tale that take place back then then you know you might, might want to check it out if you have Apple TV Plus it's not it's definitely not something that I would recommend being like you have to get Apple TV Plus for this it's not like a foundation right. it's not like a Ted Lasso it's not a um, Severance it's not one of those but if you already have it mm-hmm. definitely recommend checking that out so there's okay. that I mean I do have it just sitting there so yeah <laughs> before I go on to my thing uh, you checked out some things as well you checked out Dark Harvest tell me what you thought of this uh, Dark Harvest was weird yeah uh, I'm I'm a fan of David Slade the guy who directed this this yep. movie uh, kind of just like I didn't even know it was a thing until I saw like you know I think Dave Chen reviewed it like I saw a couple people on Letterboxd rated it and I was like I saw the poster which was really striking and I was like this is interesting um so I just watched it because apparently it just got dumped on VOD because apparently like this was supposed to come out last year and the year before that and the, the rights were picked up by MGM in like February of like 2020 so that explains why it had a complicated and troubled production history and this is it's weird it's very weird it's like set in the 60s and um it's kind of like hunger games the purge and like like all these things mixed together like all those kind of concepts because it's about a bunch of teens teen boys who go and they try to hunt down this kind of pumpkin head monster guy and stop (laughs) kill him so they can sacrifice him to save the town for another year and then you start to learn what is actually this pumpkin guy? And you're like, I think I know. I've, I've seen movies before, <laughs> yeah. but it's 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 like strikingly beautiful. Like the when there'll just be like, like the, in the way that horror films can be sometimes, where it's just like something's gruesome, but it looks so good. Mm-hmm. Or like they'll just be like stand, like the blood will spurt out and it'll look all majestic. Or they'll be like sitting, they'll like be standing in the the corn stalks because it's like set in one of those mis- midwestern states. And like the corn, like will just be blowing in the wind while like it's the creepy air, and you're like, God damn, this looks good. And <laughs> just the way like Slade, like you know, his Thirty Days of Night series, or even he made Twilight look pretty good, which is weird that he directed both Thirty <laughs> Days of Night and one of the Twilights, some of the most different vampire movies ever. Right, um, right. But yeah, it's it's a movie that I'm like, you know what? Sure, spend the six bucks on it. Why not? It's it's spooky season. Yeah. It's it's a movie that make you go. Huh? Uh, <laughs> um, the cinematographer was, you know, you probably noticed the cinematography because it's the same mm-hmm. cinematographer of Eyes Wide Shut. Um, yes. Was, yes, of that, of Only only God Forgives, which I haven't seen, but I know Nicholas Winding Refn's movies do look quite quite good. So, yeah, that's that's probably why. Yeah. yeah. They look that way. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else you watch? Cobweb. I've heard, heard some good things about this. What do you think of this? This is a fun movie. This is a slow burn, spooky movie that has a absolutely bonkers third act that I was all there for. <laughs> like it has one of those turns where you're like, you're like, 
so what is going on here? And you're like, that's what's going on here? Okay. <laughs> All right. Like, yeah. there's a kid, there's this little, like, like little pansy kid, and he's like, oh, there's some voices that are talking to me in the wall. And the voice is like, push that bully down the stairs. But be nice about it. And then and then his parents are like, um, you know, super protective, uh, overprotective parents. And is they're, you know, they're great, because it's uh, Lizzie Kaplan and then uh, Anthony Starr, a.k.a. Homelander, Nice. Are his parents and they're this ultra religious like couple that are like not like we don't have any cell phones or internet and yeah. you, you can't go trick or treating because it's the devil's time <laughs> you know like that kind of thing yeah. and you're like they've got some secrets and you're like what are the secrets that they're keeping and once you find out it is a blast nice um, yeah I was gonna say so so not like holy shit that's what's happening not not in a malignant way but in a like a no it's it's what I watched I was like this is why this is like malignant if it was competent you know yes. like this is like malignant if it wasn't like fucking ridiculous campy nonsense if it was like yes. actually slow and serious and you know like relied on like the, the creepier stuff is not just jump scares you know it's just like oh there's like a shadow that just slowly comes into the room when you <laughs> A lot of the scariest stuff happens off screen. I think that there's one, there's a time when you do see something that is you're like, it's wakes. You're like, that's way scarier when you don't see it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Actually, nice, very cool. Um, yeah. And I just checked out Megan or Mithrigan from the show. Mithrigan, yes. 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 What, <laughs> what'd you think of this? I fucking hated this movie. <laughs> I did not. Oh, man, that's too harsh. But I was really bored watching this movie. Yeah. And I get that it was trying to go for, like, the campy thing. Like, ooh, like, but there was so much just time when nothing scary was happening. Yep. That I wasn't like there was like there was some legitimately great moments of fun campiness in it. Like, oh, she's doing a little dance. It's like all the stuff that was in the trailers or like she's got her outfit on. Like there was there was brilliant moments like that. But in between it, it was just like, like, oh, my God, shut the fuck up, Allison Williams. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you're the worst aunt in the world. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like it is. It wasn't. It didn't even seem. It seemed more like an action movie to me than a scary movie. It was at to times, be honest. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like it felt. And I don't think this is accidental because it's obviously reminiscent of Small Soldiers, but it felt like Joe Dante light. Honestly, the whole yes. movie. Yes, I I liked it ish. I have it down at the bottom of my of my best of the year list. Um, I have it, you know, sitting around things like uh, Creed three, Boston Strangler, Knock at the Cabin, things like that that just didn't you know they were they were fine. They weren't terrible, mm-hmm. but yeah, definitely not one of the best of the year. Yep. Yeah, and it, it just didn't make any sense. Like there, yeah. it was just like she's evil because she needs to be evil, and then in the end, she's like. <laughs> Ah, whatever. I'm gonna spoil it. The line. She's just like, I have a new primary user, me, and you're like, okay. There's no reason that doesn't make any sense, but sure. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And then of course it's set up for a sequel, you know, because the guy yeah. had the plans that were supposedly lost or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. Anyways, yeah. Ron, was it Ronnie? Ronnie Chen is his name, or yes, what's something his name? like that. He's so fucking good. Yes, he's so good. Like he's he's just like. Like he also was in Joyride this year. He's just got oh, yeah, he's yeah, had yeah. a run of just being like yeah. a wealthy and I think it was the same thing in Shang-Chi, where he's just like a wealthy douchebag. <laughs> like he's so fucking great at it. Yeah. Yeah, he's the new he's like the twenty twenty three version of like um the BD Wong that was in the Jurassic Park movies, like that. 
smarmy BD guy. BD Wong is like creepier though. BD Wong, <laughs> you're like, you were in Anne Butterfly. <laughs> like he's just in like Jurassic Park, he's just a regular guy, but then like Jurassic World, it's like, oh, he's full BD Wong. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, worth watching, but uh yeah, not one of the best things we saw this year. I don't think it's worth watching. Skip it. No? Fucking right. skip it. No. All right. It was ninety minutes long and I was like this could have been 30 minutes long. Yeah. Speaking of opposable thumbs, that's, yeah. I give a thumbs up, you give yeah. a thumbs down. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. So wait, real fast. Um, yes. Uh, uh, you're, you're, a, you're a, um, a Gene Siskel and I'm Roger Ebert, right? In this situation? You're saying I'm Roger Ebert. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I guess Roger Ebert. You're, you're, you're Ebert. Gene Siskel. I think so. Yeah. Yes. 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 I yeah. listen to, um, yeah, listen to, um, What's his name? Matt Singer on mm-hmm. which show? He was on a couple of different shows, the uh, film spotting, and he was on another one where he talked specifically about like top five, like worst, like up and downs or bet, worst. What was it do? the screen drafts? Yeah, screen drafts. They, exactly. The screen drafts did they did the the, yeah. the draft of the two thumbs down movies? Yes, 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 yes. So which is what very I, great. What I took away from that discussion was that they don't they're they're very. Um, uh, critical of like genre movies, like a lot of the ones they yeah. gave thumbs down to were like Die Hard and like um, you know any genre movie. They were like, well, this, this plot doesn't make any sense. The like you said, Ebert Army was, of Darkness. Army yeah. of Darkness was very. He was Ebert. Every time they played a clip of what Ebert problem was with the movie, was like this this thing doesn't make sense. This plot machination doesn't make sense. And it's like, dude, you're not engaging with the movie on its level. It's not trying to make sense. It doesn't need to make sense. So I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, in yeah. that way you are, you are Ebert. <laughs> well, no, that's because uh, like, I think Ebert, like in reading the book, Ebert's the one who's always just like in the, like he's always like in the world of the movie. Like this makes, you know, like sense. Like they have, there's this great, and Griffin Newman always brings it up is there's this great one where it's like, they're talking about um, good burger. And they both oh, yeah. gave it a thumbs down, but like, <laughs> like, like, uh, uh, Siskel is like, like they are dumb, and Ebert's like, no, no, they're smart, right? <laughs> they like, they, they, they do everything they're trying to do. They're smart kids, and and then Ebert goes, or Siskel goes, of course they do. It's the movie. They wouldn't have an ending, and but then Ebert's like, yeah, but like in that context of the movie. Because it had to go that way, they had to be smart. Like it's such a, it's such a fucking good argument. Yeah, yeah, good argument, but a very dumb movie. Um, I love that movie. I'm <clears throat> by the way, I am hyped for Good Burger too. Like yeah. I fucking cannot wait. <laughs> I'm keeping my Paramount Plus until at least Thanksgiving, so I can watch that shit. Nice, nice. Uh, let's see. So Hooptober, like I said, is almost over. Um, I've watched basically one movie a day. I had to pick up the pace very quickly about halfway into the month because I was very much behind. But I have about three or four movies left to watch. Plenty of time to watch those. So I definitely will finish the challenge. I have... I have uh, about 24, 25 movies on here so far. I'll just talk about some of the some of the best ones I saw. Uh, the, the best one out of all of them was Ginger Snaps. It is a movie from uh, 2000, directed by John Fawcett. It's about two uh, sisters. Uh, one of them gets bitten by a werewolf, and the other one had basically has a... Uh, like tamp down all of the uh, symptoms of her becoming a wolf. So you can very much uh, place upon that, like, you know, uh, um, uh, allegories and um, it's a... It's a uh, Metaphor for, you know, puberty or adolescence or all, all of that stuff, you know. Uh, very good. Very good performances. Very, very good um, 
you know, camera work, very good, uh, prosthetics, all of that stuff really worked very, very well uh, for me. I love I love movies. This is like from 2000, so it's got that, you know, late 90s sort of uh, grunge. People are still, you know, dressing like grunge people, long, long, you know, long coats, big coats, thick um mm-hmm. Thick plaid, a lot of sweaters, <laughs> sort of thing. It's always funny to me looking back on that, looking thinking back back on me in high school. So I was basically in high school at this point, doing acting and wearing the same, sort of same sort of clothes these these girls were wearing. It's always that that scene of them like on the sidelines of a f- football field, and everyone else is playing, and they're just like in these giant coats and sweaters, and just like you know slouching down and be like, I don't want to play. <laughs> playing is stupid. Trying is dumb. Look at all these stupid jocks and shit. So it's a very funny in that way. Um, so yeah, highly recommend that one. Uh, if you're going to watch one of them from this list, definitely recommend that one. And just a couple of more. Um, Bibliotech um, was a movie from 1955, directed by Henry Georges Clouzot. Um, it's a French movie. It's about a woman, or woman and her her husband's mistress who conspire to to murder him. Um, and it's got a very interesting sort of ending there. I won't spoil it, but it's very. It was sort of very complex and very uh, very interesting um, ending and very interesting um, use of like prosthetics again. Very very good prosthetic use prosthetic use even for that time period. And uh, yeah, one one of the best I've seen this year for that. Uh, I don't know if you've heard seen seen or heard of these two movies so far. I cannot say that I have, and yeah. I know you've mentioned Hooptober. Yeah, what is that even from? Like, wh- who is the hoop? Is it who is <laughs> is it some guy named Hooper? Or is it Hoopy. like about like basketball hoops? Like, what is what is Hooptober? <laughs> so <clears throat> let me uh, let me go back here and find the actual person because I know the guy's name was uh, Monster. So look up his name first. So Hooptober gets his name from Mister Tobe Hooper. Um, that is oh Tobe Hooper. Is, Yes, that is the overarching theme of all of the Hooptobers for the last 10 years. What it had, it had something, one of the criteria was you had to watch one of his movies for, for each of them. Uh, let's I actually see. did watch a Tobe Hooper movie this year for the first time. What'd you watch? Exorcist. Exorcist. Oh, that's not right. Exorcist, um, uh, not Exorcist. Um, what's the house? Poltergeist. It's the fucking Poltergeist. There we go. Yes, yes, yes. That's what I, yeah. So, yeah, he's done uh, Sin and Monster on on Letterboxd has done this for the past 10 years. And so that's basically the idea behind it. Every year he would have different, uh, different criteria for each, each list. Um, and he puts that out there and everyone sort of joins in and does it, or, you know, joins in, doesn't do it. As you can see on the actual, on the list there, there's a bunch of comments about, you know, I'm this many down. I have this many to go. I've, I've liked this so far. So yeah, definitely something. A lot of something. people watching Dracula 3000 because of that one. I was yes. like, why is this keep coming? <laughs> why are all my friends watching this on Letterboxd? I was so confused. Yes, yes, yes. So, so there's that. There's the, there's the history of Hooptober. Um, mm-hmm. And then, just very quickly, I just want to mention a couple others that are on the top five of my list. I just made a best of Hooptober 2023 that you can go to if you go to um, Dracu Dracu La Land is my is my handle for this month. <laughs> I actually misspelled it, so it's spelled D R A U C L A L A. L-A-N-D on there. Um, and number three is The Devils, the um, Ken Russell movie from 1971, which has gotten great reviews. So I definitely wanted to check that out for this year. Um, it is essentially about a, uh, it's a dramatized historical account of the rise and fall of Urbane Grandeur, the 17th century Roman Catholic priest accused of witchcraft following alleged demonic possessions of sexually repressed nuns. <laughs> so if you've ever heard the name Cardinal Richelieu, that's, that's, he's, he's a major player in this as well so okay. you know 
the thing I realized about watching this, and it was, there was another one on here that I wanted to mention because I feel like movies from the 70s, a lot of movies from the 70s were about this. They had a lot of debauchery. They had a lot of like repress, repressed sexual needs of, of people. And it was very, you know, it was a very paranoid time. You have, you know, the culture, obviously, uh, you know, the Nixon and Watergate, all that stuff. You have Vietnam going on. So it's a lot of these movies that are about like um, the state or authoritarian regimes, you know, put clamping down on people and, and people being like, no, we need sex. <laughs> We're horny. Everyone's, <laughs> everyone's fucking horny and everyone needs sex. And you're, you're being assholes for trying to, you know, clamp down and trying to control uh, human sexual needs and stuff like that. So very, very interesting movie. I recommend that one as well. Um, then just one more I want to mention real quick. Um, just number four was whatever happened to baby Jane. It is a movie from the year. 1962 starring um, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford so it has a lot of uh, crossover for uh, the movie like uh, Sunset Boulevard that sort of thing so a lot of dramatic a lot of dramatic acting in this a lot of a lot of scenes scene, a lot of uh, chewing scenery in this film as well <laughs> so there's that and also Sisters from 19 from The Year of the Lord 1972 directed by Brian De Palma was my number five so you can check out my entire list over there on Letterboxd if you want to see everything I've watched and where I rank it this year so there's that very cool Woo. I yep. did not do that Hooptober but <laughs> I watched spooky movies just kind of I just kind of watched random spooky movies this year yes, to be honest yes. I almost, um, I've got a I've got like 20 minutes left but I was watching They Slash Them from last year oh nice what would you think of that so far I like it actually. I'm yeah. kind of like surprised that it's been getting really, really dragged by critics, you know, because I get like what they're trying to do. It's, I think it's kind of interesting. It's like, oh, let's take this concept, you know, this, this camp of uh, like, you know, it, it's all these teens going to camp in the 80s and they made like all the, obviously all the, the Jason movies, all the Friday the 13th movies about that, but it was just like heterosexual white people in that. And this is like, <laughs> oh, this is a K conversion camp. And so it is a very diverse cast, both in terms of like gender identities and like trans people and like non-binary people. And like some people are bi and some people are gay. And, you know, there's people of different ethnicities and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, so it's cool from that perspective. It's like, oh, it's a camp in the woods, but it's conversion camps, you know, so it's that. And then you also have uh, Kevin Bacon the Kevin Bacon connection of like, Oh yeah, he was in the first Friday the 13th. He gets <laughs> through the neck, you know? Yes. And yes, he's yes. like the big bad guy in this. Um, so not, not really a spoiler. Cause it's, you know, clearly he's not, I mean, I got 20 minutes left, but he's not doing great things so far. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I've been, I've been digging it. Maybe the last 20 minutes will suck, but I'm just like, why, why was Meg Mathrigan the <laughs> one that like with these two like boring heterosexual white people, the one that like, the queer community was like gathered. And I know it's because they were like, there's like Megan wears a funny suit and she does a cool dance. Yeah. Um, even though the director was like, it's because of found family. I'm like, shut the fuck up. That's not, that's not, <laughs> that's not why, that's not why it's got a queer following, dude. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You know, it's your own movie. Like, but like they, that them slash them who was actually made by a, a gay filmmaker, like kind of just got, you know, just shit on by critics. It's got like a 1.7 on Letterboxd. Wow. But I'm, I'm enjoying it. And I'll see how it ends up, I guess. Um, So it sounds like a horror version of But I'm a Cheerleader. Are you aware of the movie But I'm a Cheerleader? I, I am aware. I haven't seen okay. it. Natasha Leone. Uh, yes. You know. 
There's gotcha, that famous gotcha. interview where she's just like, "Be yourself, but if you can, be gay because being gay is clearly better." Honey, yes, darling. It's very good. The old Gilbert. Navy, come on. <laughs> yeah, so that's 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 what you've been watching. Um, one more uh, horror movie from this year that I checked out because it debuted on uh, on Shutter recently. Got a lot of um, praise for pretty much basically being this year's version of. Um, See no evil, or was it was it not see no evil? Uh, speak no evil from last year. Um, did you check out see no evil, or um, what was it? I it's didn't. I, I didn't see any of the. I didn't see he, hear no evil, speak no evil, or speak see no evil. No evil. I didn't no see evil. any of them. So, uh, any of that trilogy. Very interesting. <laughs> very interesting um, story behind it. Not be like the movie, but my buddy Andy, who's a father, or maybe it was Dan who saw it. one of them. Who's they're both fathers, and so uh, disgraced <clears throat> former hosts of the show. Yeah, exactly. They <laughs> are you know very um, cautious about the things they watch in terms of you know kids in danger. They don't want to watch anything about having kids in danger. And if you know anything about the movie Speak No Evil, you know that it's. The whole thing is a like traumatically. There's a lot mm. of traumatic things happening to kids, especially the at the end of that movie. So um, the movie that I'm talking about now, when when evil lurks, is basically this year's version of that because it's a, it's a foreign movie and it has kids mm. in danger. Um, is a Spanish movie directed by Damien Ruunga. Um, it is a Argentinian horror film uh, written and directed by himself. The film stars Ezequiel Rodriguez, Damien Samal, and Luis. Zembaruski definitely uh, butchered those names. <laughs> uh, premiered yeah. at the Toronto International Film Festival on September 13th and is now available on Shutter. So if you have that, highly, highly, highly recommend checking it out. Um, it has some of the best prosthetics I've seen in a very long time. I know I praise prosthetics a lot, but you can, you can, they're, they're done either, they're done either really well or really terribly. So this was one that was done really well. Um, one of those movies that is sort of really based on it's a possession movie so it's we've had a bunch of those everyone that talks about this movie talks about how you know evil dead rise pope's exorcist and uh the exorcist believer a lot a lot of possession movies out there this year but this is definitely one of the Two best of them ones came out on the same day which yes. is weird very very strange <laughs> but this in my mind is one of the best of those i it might be i have to think about it more but it might be on my top 10 of the year it is incredible really yeah. highly recommend checking that out um and that's the we're only left with one more so we'll move on <laughs> to stuff stuff you've been doing you checked out uh, not scary farm on its 50th anniversary yes yes i did it's the uh, you know uh are you familiar with Knott's scary farm uh yeah because i've heard people that are you know based in california talk about going to Knott's uh Knott's berry farm right that's that's the name of it mm-hmm. year round and then during the spooky season they changed to Knott's scary farm right Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, they still have the regular farm, the rides and stuff open in the day, but then they close around like five or six and then around eight, they open back up mm-hmm. with mazes, you know, like it's, uh, you know, same thing as like Halloween Horror Nights or uh, any of those kind of, you know, like where they take the theme parks and they open them at night and they put in the mazes or the haunted houses, or whatever they want to call them, where yeah. you walk through and there's like just scare actors and they've got all this mysterious lore and stuff like that and knots was the first place to do that knots was the first place to be like hey we're gonna take our theme park we're gonna close it down and and when they first did it 50 years ago it was just like a three-night thing like three nights leading up to halloween and now it's like goes from september to um to october 31st and so i was like you know what i've got to go to this it's the 50th anniversary 
Uh, I'm right here, like literally like 20 minutes away from from Knott's. So I, I should go to this. I should be there for this momentous event. And Universal's cool. Um, the Queen Mary one, which is now run by Shock, apparently, is uh, <laughs> cool. There's like a Six Flags one. Uh, I haven't been to the Six Flags or the Queen Mary one, but I've been to Universal a couple times, and I've been to Knott's a number of times in the past. And Knott's, especially compared to like Universal, is just so much more like homegrown. Like Universal's like big money, like this is a big movie studio, and like Knott's is just like there's like just some kids from fucking like UCB, like fucking co- like theater majors, <laughs> yeah. like coming in on the weekends, you know. And but that's like why it's charming, you know. That's that's what's great about it because they're not like Universal's. Like here's the Us Maze, here's the fucking Last House Special <laughs> Maze. Like and those are cool, but yeah. like. Nas just makes shit up. They're like, cool. This is like, and it's like all this weird interconnected lore that's like, you know, and they'll, it's, they'll like have some, ma- like they'll rotate mazes out like every few years. Like, so the ones that I saw last year, some of those were gone that had been there for a couple of years and now there's new mazes. So I made sure to hit all of them up. I got to go on a Thursday. So I got to like, I knocked a bunch of the mazes out. I still had time to, and like they, they take their famous log ride and their famous calico ride and they kind of make them spookier. <laughs> um, so you get to go through and see the it's like oh it's a haunted candy behind that witch just gotta eat the kids you know like that kind of stuff yeah but you know and there's there's stuff like there's the grimoire this evil book and you know what the what about the best ones is there's this in the old west part because that's one of the big things about knots it's very old west and yeah there's a, based on this real ghost town called calico and for some reason, they named the witch Sarah Marshall in the lore. And there's this guy like standing outside. He's like, oh, you out there. You're, we're going to deputize you so you can get Sarah Marshall. And he, like, they always say the same name. They're like, make sure you go get Sarah Marshall. And I'm just like, I, w- I played a drinking game where every time they said Sarah Marshall, I would take a drink. And, yeah. you know, there's the actor there on the stage is like, you out there, I bet you're all trying to get the reward for Sarah Marshall. And I go, no, I'm trying to forget Sarah Marshall. <laughs> It's a lot of fun, yeah. and the big new maze this year, they had a couple new mazes, but they had one big that was like the centerpiece maze, where it had been like this pumpkin maze for the last couple of years, but in that spot now, it's the big, um, it's the like 50th anniversary maze, uh, and so it was like celebrating all the previous like 50 years, so there was like parts of the maze that were like, here's a little part from this maze, here's a little part from this one, and they'll be just like, You'll be go through like catacombs, and they'll have like on the headstones like here's th- this maze that ran from like 1992 to 1998. So it was really cool, really nostalgic because I went on some of those when I was a kid. I went some on some of them the last couple of years. So it it was a blast. I always love knots, you know. Um, anybody who comes down to SoCal, I know it's all Disney Universal and stuff like that. Yeah. But if you're here, especially at the spooky times, come <laughs> check out Not Scary Farm. They also. Had some very delicious drinks that I had uh-huh. three of, and uh-huh. was having a very good time with that. It was very expensive, yeah. but man, it, it was good. I was so I I had to you know get yeah. a little bit like all right, come on, scare me, guys. So I, I had a good time. Nice, very cool. What what that's that was gonna be my question. Like, what were the drinks mm-hmm. like? Were they blood drinks? Were they like what, what kind of drinks and food did they have over there? They had like a they had yeah some spooky themed ones like yep. uh. There was this vodka drink called Into the Fog, you know, because you're walking through the fog. Yeah. And I was drinking my vo- <laughs> like Into the Fog pink lemonade vodka, you know. Yeah. And then there was one. It was one. I fuck. I wish I remember what it was called, but it was like it was a mango lemonade vodka, 
Yeah. And it was like tied into the other new maze because there was this maze and there's like a Roaring Twenties part of the park, which is funny now because we're in the Twenties again. We're now right. in the Roaring Twenties again. Not, not Roaring but that like much, the, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you go through, like, it's like basically like this, it's like a, it's like a Shining mixed with the Great Gatsby, yeah. like where you're just like going through this like spooky ass hotel and they're like, people were drinking this crazy drink and it made them all turn into Jack Nicholson. You know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, And I was like, fuck, I just drank that drink. I was like walking over to the line. And now you're telling me that it's going to make me a spooky, like I'm going to like come at like my wife with an axe and be like, yeah. here's Derek, you know. Like, <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Definitely want to so not, everybody out. knows Knott's Berry yeah. Farm has yes. the deepest lore. <laughs> there you go very cool so with that uh, why don't we take a break real quick but before okay. and on the other side of the break we will be reviewing the killers of the flower moon so we'll be right back and we're back um so we're going to be talking about killers of flower moon obviously how about we do a couple minutes of spoiler free and then just dive right into the whole thing sounds good to me all right so spoiler free review <laughs> of this movie movie good Moving on. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's Three very, hours and 30 minutes. That's the review. That's the review, baby. Get them clicks. Get them engagements. Get them views. Um, no, this is a Totemic. This is a you know masterpiece. I think it's a, one of Scorsese's best movies that he's made. You know, in my opinion, you know, all of his library, but definitely within this last, you know, what would you call it? The past, you know, 2010... Um, Wolf of Wall Street era, right? Wolf of Wall Street, Silence, Irishman. Did I forget one in there? Wolf of Wall Street, Silence, Irishman. Those are his last three, I think. I believe so. Like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just one of the one of his best in that era. One of his best overall. I really, really loved all of it. Love the performances. Love the story. Love all of it. Definitely dive more deeper into it after. We, we put the spoiler bumper on here. So <laughs> what do you think overall yeah. of this film? I liked it. Also, I'm very confused that you just gave it such a glowing review because I, I was expecting to be the one defending this movie because I saw you gave it a three-star uh, rating on Letterboxd. Did I? That might have been an You extra. did? Okay. All right. Because then, okay. then I clicked I on your review. It. Okay, I adjusted okay. it. I, I see, yeah, I clicked go. on your review and it says four stars. Okay, so <laughs> that makes – all right. But yeah, no, I I, I enjoyed this movie. Um, you know, I'm a very big Scorsese fan, especially when Scorsese is doing different things. Uh, you know, like obviously, I, I said I really like Hugo. I really like Silence is my favorite film of his. Um, I'm going to be talking about Gangs in New York on uh, a podcast in like a couple weeks here. Uh, and this was pretty good. I, I really, really enjoyed it. You know, it's it's for me, it's not one of Scorsese's best, um, but it is still a very, very good movie. I, I think it's definitely on my my long list of movies of the year. Um, I don't know if it's going to crack my top 10, to be honest, but I wow. I thoroughly wow. enjoyed it. Um, I think Leo is pretty great in it. Uh, I think as is De Niro, as is Lily Gladstone and a number of other great character actors, Brendan Fraser is is i thought i loved him so much in this um oh you loved him in this okay yeah but you know it's like it's definitely a condemnation of like you know white white nationalism and uh 
and uh, all that. And you know, it's a, it's a definitely a Scorsese, even though it's he's, he's like, ah, oh, I'm gonna do my western. I'm like, it's still more of a crime movie. It's more <laughs> of your Scorsese crime movie than the western, but that's okay because uh, it's not really a western at all. It's like, oh, it's set in Oklahoma in not really the old west, kind of like the tail end of it technically. Like, I guess you know, the Wild Bunch was set around the same time, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, uh, I liked it. Uh, you know, I think, you know, some people brought up the criticism that maybe this is a movie about, you know, how Indians or Native Americans were taken advantage of. It could have been a little more from their perspective, but uh, I do like that the it, even though it is from the white people's perspective, it's from the perspective of people who suck and are awful and you do not, <laughs> yeah. do not really like for the most part. Yep. Um. So yeah, I I found this movie quite quite good and quite enjoyable. Nice. A little slow. A little yes, a little slow. Maybe yeah. it could have been a miniseries. You could do. I could see. Yes. I could see Scorsese doing the thing that Tarantino did with the Hateful Eight. His, you know, quasi western that is was like fucking four hours long. Also, and he was just yeah. like, actually, I'm just gonna take this to Netflix. And I'm like, well, it's already on Apple Plus. You could already do that. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, from now on, we'll do spoilers starting right now for Killers of the Flower Moon. Whose land is this? My land. Well, 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 our war hero has arrived. You made a good choice coming back here. Those days are the finest, wealthiest, and most beautiful people on God's earth. They outsmarted everybody. They have the say. Who gets the oil? Son, I got a question. You like women? <laughs> That's my weakness. <laughs> well, we mix these families together, and that estate money flows the right direction. It'll come to us. Shomikasi. That's how you are. I don't know what you said, but it must have been Indian for handsome devil. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you come here? I work with my uncle. You scared of him? Oh, he's a, he's the nicest man in the world. The Osage, their time is over. We got to take back control of our home. I was sent down from Washington, D.C. to see about these murders. We have so many deaths, we've lost count. It's just bad luck. Seems more like an epidemic than bad luck to me. Osage is dying by the enemy. Do not let them die alone. Evil surrounds my heart. Yeah, like I said, loved most of it, pretty much all of it. Um, loved the performances. Um, I did read the book, so I knew, you know, the events of it. I knew if you want to consider these events, uh, especially near the end, to be twists. I knew the twists. I knew not just the major players, not just Hale, not just Leo's character, but, you know, everybody involved. I knew <clears throat> going into it, which detective was going to live because there are many detectives that are introduced and killed off fairly quickly. <laughs> People yeah. that you think are going to be major players because they are, you know, having these good discussions with uh, Lily Gladstone and Leo's character 
you know, telling them, here's what I found out. Here's some things you probably didn't know. You know, did you know that um, Anna, what's her, her, her name, right? Anna that was that was killed, her sister. Anna was killed, yeah. Yeah, and she was pregnant. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so there was there was major investment involved in that in that one specific detective. So that that was uh, something that I knew he was not going to last very long. <laughs> going into this, yeah. I knew it was about the FBI, so I knew that was coming in. So a lot of the uh, plot points that were probably landed differently for you in terms of the twist didn't well you told me it was about the fbi so i knew that Oh, sure but i just mean that the whole who was (laughs) doing it and why i'm I'm interested to know from your perspective somebody that didn't read the book how did those events land for you well i mean i knew that those other detectives weren't going to last long because jesse plemons is in the fucking trailer (laughs) sure he comes in at about like you know the three hour mark and i was like kept being like where the fuck is jesse plemons is he gonna ever get (laughs) up here and solve this goddamn case and then there's another hour of movie that's a court drama after that i was like oh okay you know yeah so uh things things definitely moved at a i will say a slow pace you know towards that resolution just things kind of Winding out. I think Leo as a character in this is is absolutely fascinating. I was really not sure what his character was gonna do because I knew through like promotional stuff and that he was kind of not a great guy and he betrayed his wife, but I didn't know how or to the extent of that. And right from the beginning, like it's like he clear that he this guy sucks. But <laughs> I also just like that he played he's just a just dumb idiot. Like he's so right. dumb. And it makes you almost want to be compassionate for him because he's clearly just getting taken advantage of by his uncle. But he's also doing things that are like profoundly horrible and evil, like poisoning his wife. And it's like, does it's one of those things. It's like that whole thing. It's like, is he just that ignorant about what he's doing? Or is he like trying to convince himself that like it's not going to work? Um, and what so what did you think of the scene where he drinks the poison himself? Like, was that in the book at all? I don't remember if that was in the book. Um, I think that's probably something they, you know, created. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, the, the the confliction of his actions and his complicity in those actions is something that I think we'll be talking about for a while because it is, I think it's staged very well in that you, it's portrayed as, <clears throat> you know, is he, how dumb is he? How ignorant is he of these events and how much of his intelligence um, is masking that and how much of his belief in his uncle that his uncle isn't doing terrible things to other people and especially his wife. Um, I think in the book, it was made it much more um, evident that, you know, he did love her. Um, but there's also a lot of other things where it's possible that he had sex with other people and impregnated other other people. It was, it was insinuated in the book that he impregnated Anna, um, but that's not a that's not brought that's not brought up in the movie. Um, to mm-hmm. your question about did he why why did he take the pill? Why did he drink the the poison? Um, was it? I think it was morphine, right? That they were giving her and that the thing what he took, right? I did not. I don't remember it being morphine. I if it did, I miss it. But like, I knew it was like poison. I thought it was like, like um, arsenic or something. So I think at that point he's he knows he's fucked up. 
And that's probably mm-hmm. that version of like, you know, monks and whatever Christians, you know, slapping themselves on, mm-hmm. on the back doing that, uh, uh, playing, uh, paying pendants for doing terrible things. I think that's mm-hmm. his version of that. And like you spoke to um, about um, Scorsese's uh, interest in Catholicism, that's a big part of Catholicism is, you know, paying, paying pendants for sins that you've done so i think that's that's what that is there so yeah to answer your question i do think at that point he does know what he's done and he's punishing himself for it yeah and you honestly you can't there's there's a points when you can't help but like feel for him like when he at the end he like admits to everything except for what he did to his wife like he can't bring himself to admit that he can't bring himself to admit that he only try pursued a relationship because his uncle told him to because he he does clearly love her but he still clearly betrayed her ultimately and then you know when his child dies um you know uh the young anna like that is truly devastating and you feel so bad for him and that's a moment where you're like good like you know have this uh, not heroic turn but it's just like just taking responsibility you know like just finally after the worst thing imaginable happened to him which is maybe his own fault um because because of his actions neither him nor his wife were able to take care of their child um you know that that happens to him and he tries to get back some semblance of of himself um and you know thinking he can get this deal which he clearly he still got sentenced to life you know um, so he, he's yeah he's definitely a, a really really complex interesting character all the themes of just like you know and he's I think unlike a lot of the characters he's not necessarily racist he's just he's just very greedy and very stupid you know which is which are not virtues by any means of the imagination but you know he's his his uncle is just a is just an unrelenting just horrible fucking monster um, but he obviously has some humanity in him which almost makes him worse in some ways because, you know, he, he is, you know, he is empathetic. He does love his wife. He's not a, a person who has no feelings for other people and he still does these things. So yeah. Uh, I mean, the more I'm talking about the movie, the more I'm, I'm appreciating it to be honest. Not that I didn't appreciate it, but like it is so deep and it's a movie that, if it wasn't three and a half hours long, I would probably want to rewatch it soon because it's on. I'm just on Apple, but it is so long. I'm, I don't know when I'm going to sit down and be like, all right, guess I'm going to devote my day to Killers of the Flower Moon. <laughs> yeah, I uh, was in the theater for four hours, over four hours because it started late. Mm-hmm. The bulb burned out um, and they had to replace the bulb. So it was 45 minutes. I did get a, a ticket for another show. So that was good. But I was in the theater for almost four hours or more than four hours because of that. Um, but yeah, just to, to your point about being, you know, him as a person, I think this is, you know, we have to reckon with a lot of this stuff going forward as a people, as a country, as just human mm-hmm. beings. It's like, you know, in my review, I said, we're, we're the cops and the robbers, we're the terrorists and the resistance. We're, we're all of that all at once. We are the, um, we are Leo's character. We are Ernest. We are also, uh, his uncle King. We're all these people at the same time, you know? And, uh, so just coming, coming to terms with that, I think it's really, really hard for a lot of people. And, and so when you display our history and all of these actions that we have taken being the good guys and the, and quote, unquote, good guys, quote, quote, bad guys at the same time, it can lead to a very, um, 
what do you call that? Uh, uh, you know, holding two thoughts in your head at the same time is very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Like and dichotomy, yeah. Dichotomy, thank you. Yeah, just having those two thoughts at the same time can be very difficult for a lot of people. Um, you know, this movie is dealing with a lot of, you know, terrorism. And I wrote, I didn't write my review, but in the notes I said it's, it's you know, fascism and imperialism and capitalism and racism. They all fit together because they all want the same thing. You know, they all want to exploit people and they want to exploit people's bodies and their lives and their money and their um, social structure and their infrastructure and they just want to take everything because they believe it belongs to them because they believe because of uh, manifest destiny and all of that bullshit Mm -hmm. so uh, you know it ties all of that together I think it ties a lot of the themes that uh, Scorsese has been working towards and working with for his entire career of just criminals doing uh, doing crimes that are not um, being investigated and not being people not being punished for those crimes because of the same sort of people are, are supporting them. You know, Wolf of Wall Street, you saw this in Goodfellas, you saw this in a lot of his different movies, deal with not just criminals doing crimes and getting away with it and having a good time doing it, but also the fact that the the law enforcement in this country is very very complicit, but also very, you know, very um uh, there's no teeth to a lot of the enforcements for them. So there's that. Um, and then just uh, getting into some of the specifics of like the editing, you know, the the editor, Thelma Schoonmaker, did a lot of interviews this week. You know, she's also in her 80s, so she's looking back on her career a lot. Fantastic editing in this movie. Um, definitely, he obviously worked with the late, great Robbie, Robert Robertson on the score. What did you make of the score? Because it's very droning. It's got this very ba-boom, 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 thrumming beat throughout it. What did you make of that? I like that. And, it, you know, it felt almost reminiscent of, you know, a lot of... Um, and you know, I come. I'm saying this from a place of relative ignorance, but it felt like a very reminiscent of what we imagine to be a lot of Native American sound, sounding chants and things like that. And the film even ends with the the uh, Osage banging. They're they're on the drum, and you have that that crone shot or that drone shot, kind of like leading up. And that you know, it did seem like maybe that's what they were they were drawing on. Yes, absolutely. Um, one uh, one specific moment to talk about the cinematography done by Rodrigo Pietro, who also worked on Barbie from this year. Um, amazing shot when um, the fields are burning. I think uh, King, um, De Niro's character, set the fields on fire, and it's very, very reminiscent. If you've seen the movie, you know, Terrence Malick's Days of Heaven, that was a, just an incredible scene. Um, great great cinematography throughout the, throughout the movie, right? Yeah, it looked stunning as as spielberg films so often do i was i couldn't tell but i was trying to figure out if this was shot digitally or on film do you do you have the answer to that by any chance uh i believe it's digital i believe he was talking about um with thelma shoemaker doing a lot of the editing on this um he could, do, he, he could do a lot of things that he couldn't do before. Thelma and mm-hmm. Scorsese could do a lot of things that they couldn't do before because it was shot on film, a lot of long takes, um, a lot of, lot of, lot of long takes <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. Uh, one of the longest ones was um, in the car. I believe they were talking about this because they talked about how um, Leo did did, a, did some improv, um, just a quick tangent about improv generally. And because Pesci, Joe Pesci uh, has been, they talked about him doing Im- improv the do you think I'm funny scene in Goodfellas mm-hmm. and when they talk about improv this specifically there but also in a lot of movies it's they're working it out they'll say something they'll get they'll take an idea then they'll then they'll write it down and then you know form it and you know 
do all of that stuff. Not he's not saying mm-hmm. those things literally at the moment that they're filming it. They're they're working on it. They're saying things in the moment and then saying, okay, mm-hmm. we'll add that. We'll take this out. But there's that scene where Leo and Lily Gutstone are in the car and Lily's in the backseat and she says something and Leo's like, I don't know what you just said, but I bet it was uh, Indian for handsome devil or something. Yeah. Like that. And she does like a genuine laugh. And I believe that was the scene they were talking about being uh, improvised or as improvised mm-hmm. as it can be. Uh, so that was just an example of one really great long shot. Again, one of the moments in the movie that I wrote down. So these notes I have in the, in the doc, by the way, were actually in the theater. I, I always take a, uh, a corner seat so I can sort of have my phone sideways so I'm not, uh, you know, distracting anybody. But the scene where um, they're in the house and it's one of the first scenes that uh, that Leo and Lily Gutson have together and there's a storm going on outside and uh, – you know, Lily says, you know, quiet down or, be, you know, we have to sit in the silence. And, you know, that was a very good scene. It was one of the scenes that they shot uh, for the trailer. And I remember hearing that, you know, th- that was one of, do you remember maybe two or three years ago when they first were doing press for this movie and they had that one first shot and somebody says something like, mm. uh, Leo is unrecognizable in this. <laughs> you were like, who are you talking about? That's Leo driving a fucking DiCaprio <laughs> right there. What do you even mean? But yeah, just. It's not exactly th- Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder. You no. Know? So that's just an example of, you know, really great drawn out scene. And I think it's an, uh, indicative of equality in Martin Scorsese's work where you we're at this point now where it's just, of course, of course it's great. But then yeah. you compare this to Marty, almost anything. He's always going to knock it out. But then you compare that to somebody else, something else. And you're like, oh, okay, this is, he's the master for a reason. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, go ahead. He's so good. And I, yeah. I, I think I just want to talk, circle back to the novel and the differences of the novel. And I know <laughs> that in the book, uh, it's it's much more from the perspective of the the Jimmy uh, Jesse Plemons character um, White, uh, and I think that you know I I believe that Leo was originally cast in that role that it was going to yes. be much more yeah. according to the book with like it's about that this character hunting down these um, these murderers and you would have seen him and then in the movie he he's barely he's in the end but he's yes. barely he's barely a character Jesse Plemons does a great job but he's Pretty insignificant. I think that is a, a very smart decision for yeah. this film so that it's not a quote-unquote white savior film. It's not about, well, here's this the start of the FBI and this true crime thing. And it's it's like, no, it's much more of a perspective of the white person who sucks, the person who is doing these murders. And a, the much more, you know, it's a much more interesting, complex character, like, like we were just ta- saying about Leo. And I think that's a decision that, uh, Leo and Scorsese came to together because Leo, who you know, obviously was a producer on this, and they've had such a long-standing partnership. They this is now their sixth film they've done together. Obviously, you know, De Niro had done even more films than that. This is the eleventh film they've done together. Um, and De Niro, of course, who had not worked with him since he worked with Leo, came back for The Irishman. So it was really great to see both of them. But I think the perspective shift um, is really what makes this movie for me because I think if you you tell this movie from the FBI's perspective, then it's it's just, you know, another true crime Martin. It's like a good gangster movie, probably, but it's it's not this searing indictment like it is here with this truly interesting character at its core, um, like it ends up being. Yeah, they've talked about, um, like you said, Leo was originally going to be the Tom White character. And they, I forget what triggered it, but they eventually came to the conclusion that, oh, because uh, Scorsese and Leo were talking to the Osage people and saying, and throughout the conversations, they kept saying that 
people that the people that did maybe not the people that knew them, but the people that were related to people that knew actually knew them, kept saying that um, Ernest actually did love um, Molly. Uh, uh, Ernest really did love Molly. Kyle, um, Ernest's wife. So that was the point. That was the trigger for them to realize, okay, this is this is the heart of the movie. Is their relationship, and how Ernest is Ernest had Ernest does like you said, like you started out saying that Ernest does terrible, terrible things to Molly, whether he knew them or not, he still did them, and yet mm-hmm. still they everybody still said that despite all that, they still believe that Ernest did genuinely love Molly. So that's where this dynamic and this framing of the story very much took form. So yeah, you're correct about that. Um, I did a pretty long review. I'm just looking through it for, um, you know, it was co-written by Eric Roth, who who wrote a lot of, did a lot of co-writing with Scorsese. So that definitely, they basically came together and decided on the framing that they would eventually see. Um, did sort of, um, what, would you, what did you feel about like some of the hints of humor? Because there, there, are, there are points of this movie, one of them specifically, when the person that was responsible for a lot of the killings sits down and, and asks for an insurance policy on his kids. And the insurance <laughs> salesman says to him son it sounds like you you're taking out a policy just so you can kill your kids and he's like is that against the law or some something like that you know it's just these moments yeah, of absurd. he's like he's basically saying like he his like his wife who like died yeah under mysterious circumstances and yeah. now he's got these kids that have his last name and he's like can i legally adopt them and if they died would i get like paid out and he's like Sounds like you're telling me you want to adopt these kids and then kill them. And he's like, yeah. well, not if you're telling me that I can't do it. <laughs> so what did you make like what did you make of the of the of those sort of bits of humor thrown in there? Did they sort of um you know take away from the seriousness of the story or were they a welcome break from that the heaviness of the story? I think they worked. I, I always think that I think that Scorsese is a Scorsese is a very, very funny director. I think that he always has these movies that have these, you know, these big serious movies that have these very funny moments. And it never feels like tonal whiplash. It's never like, oh, he's right behind me, isn't he? You know, it's always like yeah. it flows very naturally with the story, with the characters, because it, it doesn't feel like they're doing movie jokes. It feels like, like, oh, these are like people, you know, they, yeah. these are at times dumb people. And the people in the movie aren't laughing, but we are because it's so dumb, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I think that he he balances that tone really well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I just want to highlight uh, Lily Gladstone for a second because something I said in the review, which was, you know, uh, people like Sir Ben Kingsley have said that the best that he can do, if he's doing his job correctly, he's doing as little as possible so still, still, mm-hmm. to still portray the emotional impact of the words or actions that he's saying. And I think, uh, you know, Lily Gladstone does that, you know, very very well yeah. in this movie she has immense power in her stillness she's so still in this uh, throughout a lot of this movie and so much of uh, her emotion comes from her eyes uh, what did you think of her mm-hmm. performance i thought she was great and i think i was thinking about it a lot and i was like this is a this is a role that i would really hope would get nominated um at the academy awards but it's a lot of times the academy doesn't award like maybe he'll get nominated but i don't think she has a chance of winning because like you were saying it's a very stoic very still role um and a lot of times the academy likes when people are yelling and screaming and blah 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 you know yeah um which you know they can be good but like they their academy is often looking for the much more showy performance those are the 
roles that get talked about a lot. Uh, whereas I think stuff like this is really great. And because it is so stoic and under the radar, um, unfortunately, it uh, it might get passed over. But I thought uh, she was absolutely phenomenal in this. Yes, she was very good. Um, you know, Leo as well. He's making this face. Mm-hmm. I think we have to talk about the faces that Leo's making throughout this movie. Yep. Just this like grizzled frown that he's got on. Um, my, my friend who I saw was like, <laughs> is this Leo's frowniest movie? And I was like, I don't know, The Revenant. But <laughs> Yeah, uh, it does need to be said, like the 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 casting is kind of strange just because they do it. They do this a lot where they'll have characters that they're supposed to be portraying and the actual characters at that time were much, much younger than they are than these actors are now. I think Leo's character was supposed to be in his early twenties. You know, obviously Leo's almost fifty by now. Um, I think uh, William Hale's character was much younger, um, but you know, still did work uh, from that respect. Um, anything I didn't mention as far as like uh, actors acting performances in this movie? What do you think of Jesse Plemons as Tom White? Jesse Plemons is good. He doesn't have a ton to do, but yeah. like he he's very you know he's another very reserved, very stoic role. He does his. His role will, um, you know, there's a lot of character actors that particularly show up towards the end. You know, yeah. as soon as I, 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 I was like, wait a minute, I know, I know that voice. That's John Lithgow. You know, so I was, yeah. I was happy to see him <laughs> turn up. Um, you know, there's, and then Marty gets a cameo, of course. In the end, he comes to deliver the message of the movie there at the end, and you're like, all yeah. right, I see what you're doing here, Marty. <laughs> but you know, I mentioned uh, Brendan Fraser, um, and I, I know some people have been critical of him, but I thought he was great. I thought he was so good. He's he's doing this big over the top thing, but that's exactly like what an evil corrupt lawyer would be like. You know, I thought I, he was so good. He was really funny, but like menacing at the same time. And he's doing these like faces. He's like, I'm free, Brendan Fraser. Now I'm all fluffy and mean now. And you're like, oh, I love it. What did you think of his performance? Yeah, um, you are correct that sure, maybe that was him, and that is a. That is a style that that type of lawyer would do. I'm not saying it's not accurate. I'm just saying it didn't fit the tone of the movie. And so it very much, you know, stood out as like, okay, you went for it and I appreciate it. And I'm, I, uh, I give you a for effort, but I really, I think he could have toned it down a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. I, it's, it's pitch perfect for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, very quickly, some supporting actors in this. Jason Isbell as Bill Smith, Minnie's husband, was fantastic in this. Uh, you mentioned Brendan Fraser already. Um, let's see. Scott Shepard um, was very good as Byron Burkhart, Ernest's younger brother. He was actually, now that I know who he was, I was like, who is this? Yes, very incredible. Incredible performance as just this guy in the background. He's always standing behind, uh, yeah. you know, uh, King Speaking Hale. Of- Yes. Speaking of people standing behind, did you see that fucking Foggy Nelson is in this with no lines? Yeah, I, I, did, I saw that. I saw I that. I was like, I saw is that, that Foggy? Yeah. And then he didn't have any lines. He just showed up and once <laughs> all the background. I that guess is... he must have got had some lines that got cut or something. Yeah. I was just like, I was like, hey, I mean, like he talked more in the Hunger Games, I feel like, and his tongue was cut out <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> That's very funny. Um, yeah, so just as we're coming, you know, sort of the close here, you had at the end, like you said, the um, radio performance. You had Jack White, obviously, as the radio show actor. You had Pete Yorn there. You had um, a bunch of people in the background there. And, of course, Martin Scorsese closes it out. What did you make of that framing? Because I, here's my take on it. Um, it's it's a, it's a, it's a, he's presenting a 
certain level of self-awareness, meaning he's mm-hmm. telling a story about an atrocity and he's framing it the best he can. He's framing it at the end of the day. It's, it's a, it's a product, it's entertainment. And so I think he's showing a pretty high level a pretty high level of a self-awareness about what this is, you know? So I think he's by, by showing that like by showing it, he's saying, I know, I know what we're doing. We're doing another version of this. It's more accurate. It's more um, about the Osage. It's more focused on their atrocities committed upon them, but it's not perfect. And he knows that. So that's, that's, that was my interpretation of what that was about. Yeah. He's, he's like, we're, we're still continuing this tradition of, you know, there was like just in in the olden days, it would have been like this. It would have been like, ah, it's a, here's the show presented by the cigarettes. And, you know, yeah. uh, and now it's like, you know, most modern movies would have come just have like that somber text. And it's like, yeah, nothing really fucking changed. Nothing really happened. You know, like they caught these guys, but they were in jail for a while and they got out on parole and. You know, and then Marty comes and he just it's very clear, like he's the one delivering that last line is like, yeah, like this call continues and I'm here a part of it. And then, um, yeah, so I, I thought that framing device was was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, as did I. Um, so I think I forgot here. I know I wrote down some people I want to mention. Jacqueline West, costume designer of The Revenant, Dune, Curious Kids, a bunch of button, fantastic um you know, costuming, especially Lily, uh, Lily Gladstone, you know, obviously um, that contributes a lot to her performance because they basically have her, you know, wrapped up a lot in that um, in that garment that she's wearing. Um, so that, that was I love I love cozy blankets. I was like, <laughs> man, <laughs> I look yeah. so comfortable. It did. It did look very comfortable. Um, set design. Adam Willis was was great at that. Um, and we already mentioned uh, Rodrigo Petro and uh, Thomas Schumacher editing. Robbie Robertson's score was incredible. So anything we haven't talked about yet that you want to highlight for this movie? The only thing I'll I'll say is um, Damien, if you had seen yes, this movie at my showing, I think you would have murdered somebody. Because <laughs> yeah. I know how you're like you you get your hyper like sensitivity when you're watching a movie. Yeah, and. Uh, the people that were sitting next to me, the movie starts and yep. I hear the the woman set down her popcorn. She's like, don't kick this over. And then the guy goes, yes, mommy. And oh, I'm no. like, oh, don't like that. And then ah! he's like, we're at the age now where we can start calling each other mommy and daddy. I was like, fuck <laughs> this. And then they were like, and then she starts flossing. What? And uh, yeah, yeah, I could just hear it Okay, I'm like, that, what yeah. the f-? so uh <laughs> and then they got just cuddled up and just they just thought it was uh, they kept they kept getting up and going to the bathroom the whole time which i get it it's a three and a half hour movie but i'm like yeah like like i did i was like <laughs> why are you guys seeing this movie like you guys yeah. are clearly here for like a fun date night yeah like what well, <laughs> go see five nights at freddy's like what is happening <laughs> that's awful yeah i i i hate when that shit happens yeah. Um, let me see. Yeah, I think that's about it. So that'll, that'll do it for a review of uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. I have it right now as my second favorite movie of the year uh, behind Past Lives. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay. The I don't know where to put it with Scorsese's work. I Like I said, so some of the favorites of his from his last 10 years of, of filmmaking, some of my favorite of his all of all time. Um, I think... Like with Irishman, I definitely need more time to think about it and yeah. maybe even see this for a second time before I can definitively put it, you know, rank it somewhere. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. Like, it's something 
excuse me, I, I would like to rewatch. Probably we'll rewatch on an Apple Plus. I'm not going to probably make another trip yeah. to the theater for three and a half hours, um, four hours with the commercials and Nicole Kidman. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm glad it's on Apple Plus or it's going to be on Apple Plus coming up in a couple weeks here. Yeah, so that'll do it. If you agree or disagree with our review of Killer of the Flower Moon, right into Midnight Pop. Uh, what is it? <laughs> gotta, re- gotta relearn the the, the email. It's a now. new, yeah, we're, we're at the, 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 the whole new thing here. Midnight Film Society at gmail.com. If you agree or disagree with our takes, I do want to say one thing. Walter Shaw, one of my favorite film critics, has just a, is so fucking poetic. I was, I was, I finished my review, finished writing my review, and I go to him. I'm like, this is, I'm like looking at fucking the Sistine Chapel if I, after I just did like a uh. stick figure painting. <laughs> uh. So Walter Shaw uh, opening opens a review with quote. I think Martin Scorsese is perhaps too principled a filmmaker to indulge in the the dark poetry of The Killers of the Flower Moon, too bound by limitations he's aware of and wary of violating, too respectful of the honor of the history to mark it with the crackle of verve and vitality. A sober topic deserves a sober treatment, no question. Yet Scorsese, at his best, is doing lines off the hood of a vintage Impala, not running lines with actors and, and advisors, all with competing interests and hardwired biases to find the most cogent, most reasonable way to approach a tripwire so just bah, bah. great there you go. There great you stuff go. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that uh let's move on to Rebecca Simons you had the jewel thief last time I do have a good reason for not seeing mine because it was not available anywhere <laughs> I had to pay five dollars <laughs> for it so did you check out to the jewel thief I did I watched it almost immediately after we nice. recorded because I cool. was at my parents last yeah. week uh, uh, sans yeah. parents just me and my brother and my dog hanging out yeah. and uh after my brother went to bed because he had to or maybe it was the next day when he went to work either way i i watched it immediately and yeah this is a not a very well-known doc um it's pretty interesting about a very flawed character uh, a lot of twists and turns real life true crime um and it's a movie that i could definitely see some like scorsese adapting because it's a very, very fascinating character at the, in the middle of this. Not a, He doesn't steal that many jewels. He only steals one <laughs> jewel. Spoiler alert. Oh, come on. I'm like watching halfway through the movie, and I was like, this guy has stolen a lot of money, and he's done a lot of interesting things. Like, he's very, very, like, meticulous and smart criminal, doing all this stuff, like, while banks are being constructed, putting cameras and microphones in so that he can come and break in later, and doing all this insane stuff, and breaking out of, like, police headquarters when he was, like, 15, and... Um, but then I'm like, where's the fucking jewels? Steal the, and I get because the jewels, <laughs> the jewels is a better Robowski? title. Right. <laughs> Did you say Robowski? Robowski, yeah. Where's the jewels, Robowski? Uh, uh, but, um, but I, I guess the jewel thief is a more catchy title than the money thief. Yeah. So I get why they named it that. But there yeah, <laughs> it was a good movie that I was like, I could see this being like a great, like Scorsese or somebody who not Clint Eastwood, God, no. But like yeah, someone no. could take take this uh this guy's story and make a really interesting biopic of it. Nice, very cool. Um, so let's do a little back shuffle. I'm gonna go to my mm-hmm. my watch list. I have 245 films altogether. It cuts it down to 125. They're on my favorite streaming services. So I'm gonna hit shuffle. Get uh, the Devil's Backbone. Okay, this is one of the first Del Toro movies, Gilmore Del Toro movies uh, from 2001. Spain, 1939. So again, going back to uh, a lot of the stuff Ooh. he's been doing before. Yeah, um, interesting. In the- 
Yeah, in the days of the Spanish Civil War, the young Carlos arrives at the Santa Lucia Orphanage, where he will make friends and enemies as he follows the quiet footsteps of a mysterious presence eager for revenge. So I'll be checking that out for next time. Derek, tell me what you got at on your watch list shuffle. All right, yeah, I got 507 to putting into the services that I that I own, taking yep. out TV shows and sorting by shuffle and we've got oh the cat returns nice uh the studio ghibli film uh by uh Ryoka morita i'm probably mispronouncing that um yeah okay interesting interested to see this uh i have seen all of the miyazaki movies but um not all of the ghibli movies in general so yeah. uh yeah should be cool. I'm excited to check this one out. Nice. That is, yeah, that is also one of my blind spots in terms of uh, the Ghibli movies. So yeah, maybe I'll check that out as, okay. check that out as, as well. Uh, next time, two weeks from now, uh, Priscilla should be. It's in limited release or micro wide on November 3rd. That is the new Sofia Coppola movie based on the book Elvis and Me by Priscilla Presley. Uh, we have The Holdovers coming out that same week, directed by Alexandra Payne with Paul Giamatti and Nyad, a biopic on marathon swimmer Diana Nyad starring Annette Bening. So hopefully we'll check out some of those or all of them for next time. And now uh, we'll do some plugs. I am 53 away from 200 followers. Been super active on the old Letterboxd. Doing the uh, Hooptober probably helped a lot. Doing a lot of reviews. Got, got a pretty good... Um, Response to the uh, Killers of Flower Moon review on there. That's also on my Medium blog, damian.sherman.medium.com. You can go there from all of my reviews. Film Essayist on YouTube, Spotify for podcasters. Go to all my... Go back to the back catalog of my interviews with TikToker Cinema Tech, BR Jaeger, and go back to and check out all the uh, Succession Season 4 breakdowns and season the Bear Season 2 with Dion. Derek, what you got to plug? I'm plugging my podcast, Underrated, uh, which is, you know, going to be out uh, today. There's going to be a new episode out, our Halloween episode, actually, uh, on Burnt Offerings, a 1976 film uh, starring uh, Karen Black, Oliver Reed, uh, and then the, you mentioned her in another uh, film earlier, Betty Davis. Uh, This is a really interesting film. If you're a horror fan, it almost feels like a proto uh, version of Poltergeist, of The Shining, of uh, a lot of those haunted house movies that would come out in the late 70s and 80s. And this predated all of them. Um, so had a lot of fun checking this out. Uh, had on Matt from the Matt Mark Movie Show, who was the one who brought me this movie. And I thought it was pretty phenomenal. So check that out. Uh, I'm doing a lot of other podcast stuff. Um, got a new Patreon going. So I've got a new Patreon podcast called Underdogs where I talk about sports movies. Damien's going to be talking about a basketball film with me uh, coming up here. Uh, And then I'm also, I think I can talk about this now. I don't think any of the reviews are out by the time this is dropping, but I'm now writing for Film Threat. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, So I've written a few reviews for that. They should be going up on the site soon. So if you're a fan of independent film, uh, check out Film Threat. Check out some of my reviews that will be up there. Nice. Very cool. And for the brand new Midnight Film Society, <laughs> I have been Damien. I've been Derek. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.